All right, turn with me to the book of Ezra, chapter 2. We're in our series called Revive Us. We're studying revival in Ezra. And I, actually, I want everyone there, if you have it on a phone, turn there. Because I want you to look at what this chapter looks like. I think if you're anything like me, you look at a chapter like this, and you just see all these names and numbers, and you look and you say, oh, bummer. This is going to be one of those dry and laborious days of getting through Scripture. But can I just tell you that this whole book, every word is anointed by God with power to transform lives. And so God can speak to us through lists. So just get ready, buckle up your seatbelt. We're going to go on a great ride. One of my favorite movies, which is a, a book made into a movie, is The Hobbit. Anyone seen The Hobbit or read The Hobbit? Everyone raise your hand that's familiar with this. Okay, great. So most of you, the uh, fourth of you that haven't will have a hard time understanding this sermon, but you have the rest of the day to watch the six movies made. Uh, and that's so... Uh, um, to give you a little summary of this scene that I love from it, you have this hobbit named Bilbo Baggins. Hobbits are comfort-loving creatures. They love food. They're foodies. They like their nice, cozy, warm fires in front of the hearth. They like to sit and enjoy life. And into Bilbo Baggins' nice, cozy hobbit hole one evening comes a mysterious and wise guest, the wise wizard Gandalf. He comes rapping on the door, and with him descend 12 gruff, earthy, uncouth dwarves. And Bilbo, totally disturbed as his peaceful evening turns into one where his floor is getting scruffed up, his pantries getting raided, there's riotous song, and then there's this summons to go on an adventure, to go on this journey to reclaim the, reclaim the dwarves' homeland that's been raided and captured by a dragon. And so they say, we want you to go with us, Bilbo, and it's going to be a perilous journey, and we can't guarantee you that you'll return with life and limb, but we need you. And you see this, this whole evening where Bilbo is just frustrated, right? He's, his house is getting ransacked. He's just totally thrown off by this. And so he finally gets the dwarves out of his home, and he crashes in his own bed for a nice peaceful sleep. He wakes up, and everyone's gone. But then the scene that I love so much shows him in this inner turmoil, because he might have just missed the adventure of a lifetime. Let's watch this scene. Hello? 
I signed it. Everything appears to be in order. Welcome, Master Baggins, to the company of Thorin Oakenshield. I love that scene. I think it so perfectly depicts the dilemma we're in. Are we going to sit back in our cozy and comfortable life, or are we willing to go out on the journey of faith that God's called us into? The book of Ezra in chapter 1, we started there last week, we talked about a man named Cyrus. I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the message. If we didn't, it really paints the context of what's going on in this book. But Cyrus was an unlikely character to be used by God to set in motion a move of God. He was a pagan king. He was a, a tyrant, an invader. But God got a hold of his heart, and he gave of his position, his time, and his resources to empower the people of God to go on this journey. So last week, we talked about one person. But this week, we move to talk about many. And so back in Ezra 1, for the sake of review, verse 3, it says, Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah. This is what Cyrus, the king, who's in charge of Babylon, where the Israelites are in captivity, says, And build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who's in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. This week's study is much different. As we get to Ezra chapter 2, I want you to watch this. Verse 1 says this. Now these are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles. From Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to their own town. And the company was Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reelah, Mordecai, Bishan, Mispar, Migvi, Rehum, and Banna, the list of the people of Israel. So this is a whole group of people that go on this uncomfortable journey from Babylon to Israel. And what you've got to understand is these people, they weren't in an uncomfortable situation. They weren't living in a refugee camp going to this beautiful promised land. It, it wasn't like my trip that you just heard about that I went to Israel this summer on our sabbatical and had this glorious time and stayed in a nice hotel and saw these beautiful sights. If you want to understand what Israel was like at this time, what these people were going to, imagine like the Midwest, a little town maybe in Kansas after a tornado has gone through a trailer park. That's what it would be like. Nebuchadnezzar had come and decimated the place. And now if you want to know what they were leaving, you've got to understand from the book of Jeremiah. You see, Jeremiah had spoken to the people when they were taken into captivity in Israel. Listen to this. 
It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So you remember, the people of Israel right now are in Babylon. They were carried from Jerusalem into Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the place. God says to them, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Let me just tell you, the people were being disciplined, right? Jeremiah had warned them, stop sitting. Stop turning away from God. You're about to get disciplined. And then boom, they get disciplined. Nebuchadnezzar comes in, destroys a place, and takes them into captivity. But can I just tell you, even in the midst of your discipline, God still cares about you? Like you might be in a season right now where you're being disciplined for your sin. Can I just tell you, a loving father disciplines their kid. Like don't, don't think God hates me when you're being disciplined. Like I discipline my kids, right? When, when I had little kids, uh, they would reach out as little kids. All kids do this. Oh, I see a nice glowing hot thing. They go to put their hand on it. It's a stove, right? And they're going to get their hand, and you go, no, and you hit their hand. It's not because you're mean and abusive. It's because you're loving and trying to protect them. Your little slap on their wrist will keep them from having a fourth-degree burn. Can I just tell you, God disciplines those he loves? And in the midst of it, he still cares and provides for you. That's what God was doing for the captives in Babylon. It says, seek the peace and prosperity, the city to which you I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so the Israelites had built homes, and they had planted gardens, and they had given their children into marriage. Basically, they had created the Shire. They had the Hobbit Shire. It was a beautiful little place that they were living, and into that, King Cyrus comes and says, now you've lived in exile for 70 years. You have your shire, but now you can go back and rebuild your land. My question is, when God calls you into a journey, do you go with him? When God comes and summons you into an adventure, are you willing to leave your comfort zone and go on the journey of faith? Are you in the journey of faith today? What I find is that there's two sides at war within me. Uh, there's the side of me that loves the Shire. I love the comfort. I, I love the rocking chair in front of the fireplace and my little tea at night. I love my little bathrobe and my tea and the cozy chair and put on some ca classical music. But then there's the other side of me that's like, I want adventure in the great white somewhere. You know, I'm like, I... I am like Beauty and the Beast or, you know, whatever the male version of that would be, right? Uh, so there's these two sides that are in conflict within me. And, and, and that's what I love about the, the, the Hobbit is you see this wonderful literary piece where Bilbo is Bilbo Baggins. So there's the Bagginses side, and they are very predictable and comfort-loving and and savor their peace, but then there's the Took side. Ooh, the Took side. They're, they walk on the wild side. They're adventurous. They have wanderlust. They want to seize the day. What I find is I have both of these sides in me, right? And they're, they're often at, in conflict. And, and, and you know what? I, I actually believe they're, they're both from the Lord, do you know that both of these are from the Lord? Like it, it's, it's 
right that you want peace and order and provision. Look at this, Genesis chapter one. It says, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east. In the garden, there he put the man he had formed. The Lord had made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for the food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and a river watering the garden flowed through Eden. It sounds like the Shire. It says that there was gold in it and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to, to work it and take care of it. Now, You've got to understand the theme of this message isn't gardens bad, adventure good, right? God put a desire for order, for beauty, for provision in you. But the problem is that sin came into the world and corrupted God's perfect plan. And the Bible actually says in Romans 8 that all creation was subjected to frustration. And the enemy actually came and he stole and he killed and destroyed and he has advanced his kingdom. But you see, there's coming a day where we go back to that garden city. Revelation 21 talks about a new heaven and a new earth. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It's in your heart to get to a place of peace, prosperity, no more suffering, no more pain, a place of order, a place of blessing. It's in your heart. But can I just tell you that we have to, well, there's two sides of us, right? We all love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. What we don't always see is, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of Mordor. Uh, <laughs> I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In order to reclaim the kingdom, you had to drive out. You have to go through the enemy's courts. And we have to go on the, advance, the adventure to advance the kingdom of God, to bring heaven to earth. And my question for you is, are you on the adventure with God? Is it about his kingdom or just creating your little kingdom? Ezra 2, verse 3, the list of the men of the people of Israel, the descendants of Parash, 2,172, of Shepahatiah, 372, of Arah, 375, or 775, of Pahath, Moab, 2,812, of Elam, 1,254, of Zatu, 945, of Zakai, 760. Of Bani, 642, of Bebai, 623, of Asgad, 1222, of Adonikam, 666. Bummer to be in that family. <laughs> Can you, can't you see it? Like, bummer. Why did that happen to be my family? I would have said, like, hey, I don't really like Uncle Joe anyway. Could you stay so we can have 665? Like, this is, I don't want to go into the new land with 666. Of. <laughs> Uh, of Bigvi, 2056, of Aden, 454, of Atur, 98, of Bezai, 323, of Jorah, 112, of Hashem, 223, of Gibar, 95. Why am I taking the time to read all of these numbers? Because this totally debunks this thought we have in Christianity 
that when God calls people on a radical adventure, that only a few actually go. Oh, I like that. Should I try that again? This debunks this, this thought in Christianity that when God calls people on a radical adventure, only a few go. When you add up the number of people at the end of this chapter, you get 42,000 people. Can I just tell you, this is the normal Christian life. You might have grown up in a church where you looked around like I did. I'm thankful that I grew up in church because I heard the word of God. But I looked around and said, these people, they don't really seem any different than the rest of the people that I see. They talk the same. They, they, they act the same as the people of the world. The only difference is they go to church on Sunday. Can I just tell you, that's not the normal Christian life. That's deluded American religion. The normal Christian life is people willing to leave their prosperity and their comfort zones and go on an adventure when Gandalf summons, when God summons you. About to start preaching. Are, are, you, are you on the journey of faith? Are you on the journey of faith? Um. You know, if you're like me, you're, you, you're like, yeah, I want to go on that journey. Like, I, I feel like God's calling me. And then you get going, and you're about to go, and then you get a cold. And you're like, I quit. I'm out. Right? Anybody else like a cold wimp like I am? Like, I'm like, I am going to take on the world. And then I get like a little sore throat, and I'm like, uh, tap, I'm out. I'm out. You know, um, I'm not going to work anymore. Forget following Jesus. Uh, I can't even get up to help my wife with the kids. Yeah, I mean, I am so, I could be such a wimp, right? I'm going to go to the nations. And then I look and I'm like, dang it, I have a middle seat. Okay, ah, panic attack, ah, right? The missionaries of all, like they sailed with their coffins for eight months. And I'm like, middle seat, six hours. Oh, you know, breathe, breathe, <laughs> breathe. I am such a wimp. I get so scared, and, and, and so then I'm like, I can't do this. And if you're like me, and you're like, I can't, I couldn't do that. I couldn't leave and go on this. I mean, think about it. They were going on a journey. They didn't have Pinsky moving trucks to move them. They didn't have, they didn't have planes. To fly. They didn't even have Chevy Tahoes to drive across the desert, right? They, they, got, they had a perilous journey into a desolate spot, and 42,000 of them go, and I'm like, I don't know if I would have done it. I don't know if I could do it. I, I feel too weak. And some of you are like, man, when God shows up, if he asked me to do something like that, if he asked me to go, if he asked me to be, give all my finances, if he asked me to boldly stand up and share in my office, I couldn't do it. If he asked me to, to go to my neighbor's house and share the gospel with them, if he asked me to go forgive this person, I couldn't do it. Guess what? You're right. You can't. The Bible says in our weakness, he is strong. The Bible says it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, the problem with American Christianity is too many of us are trying to do Christianity without Christ in us. So actually, when you feel weak, that is your invitation to dig deep into him who is in you. I am constantly having to go, Jesus, I'm too weak. I have a little sniffle, and I want to give up on all of life. 
Lord, I have a middle seat, and so I want to tap out, Lord. I am scared. I, I, I can't do I'm intimidated about person. I can't forget that. I can't get that money. I am freaked out. And I have to go, but it's not me. It's you. Oh, Jesus, come, pour out your power in me. Give me your strength. Give me your courage. Give me your mind. Give me the mind of Christ. It's Christ in you. That's what Colossians 3 says. It says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things of above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things of above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The only way you can go on the journey of faith is if you die and your life is in God. You can't make it on your own. I can't do what God's called me to do on my own. The only way you're gonna live out the journey of faith, the only way you're gonna say no to sin, the only way that you're gonna be courageous in the face of danger, the only way that you're gonna forgive when you've been wrongly treated, the only way that you're gonna share the gospel at the, at the chance of getting ostracized by your friends or losing your job is when it's Christ in you. When you're in Christ, when he's moving through you, and when he's covering you, that's what this life's about. It's not about you being a good enough Christian. It's about Christ manifesting himself through you. Verse 36. The priests, the descendants of Jediah, through the family of Jeshua, 973, of Imer, 1,052 of Pasher, 1,247 of Haram, 1,017. I love this. There were a lot of priests. Okay, each week as we're in this revival series, I'm trying to recount one of the great revivals of old that shook the earth. And few had the same impact that the Protestant Reformation had. You've heard of the Reformation happened in the early 1500s, led by numerous different people, but maybe the most memorable is this little, stubborn, ridiculously, doggedly determined guy named Martin Luther. A little monk who stood against the Pope, against a massive, massive institution, and against all these governments. Can I just tell you, God loves to use stubborn people. Some of you parents are like, thank God, because I got a stubborn child, right? Some of you are stubborn, and God's going to use your stubbornness, okay? Look at your neighbor and say, you are stubborn, but God's going to use you, all right? God used this stubborn. Some of you have been waiting to do that for a long time. <laughs> I saw some husbands and wives going like, he gave me permission, <laughs> two foundational truths that were rediscovered in the Reformation. The first and most important, salvation by grace through faith. Martin Luther's showing, hey, you don't have to pay indulgences. You don't buy your salvation. It's a free gift through what Jesus did on the cross. But a second one, so important, the priesthood of the believer. There's not just one person that stands and before God. It's not just the Pope or it's not just a, a certain few people who wear different clothes and do some things up on an altar. No, every person is called to be a priest. Listen to what Martin Luther said in this quote, that the Pope or bishop anoints, makes tonsures, ordains, consecrates, or dresses differently from the laity, but it in no way makes a Christian or spiritual human being. He's like, just because he dresses this way and does a few rituals, that's not what makes you spiritual. That's not what makes you a Christian. 
In fact, we are all consecrated priests. Say all. all. We are all consecrated priests through baptism. As St. Peter in 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a royal priesthood and a priestly kingdom. Can I just tell you, you are a priest. Your identity, you're a priest. You can go home and call your mom. Mom, you always wanted me to be something? I'm a priest. She's like, what? <laughs> Revelation 5.10, through your blood, you've made us priests and kings. Oh, man, um, this was a, a wonderful story. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Claudia Carmona, she brought someone from her apartment complex, a person from a different religion up to our, our, our church because the person needed some help. And so we have some, some resources for benevolence and she was helping. And, and when that person was here, they said, hey, could, could you actually send a pastor to my apartment? Because there's weird spiritual things going on there. I and mean, we need for a pastor to come in and pray those things out. Claudia looks at her and goes, you don't need a pastor. I'll go. Now that is the priesthood of the believer. That's what I want for every single one of you, that you would know you have authority in your dorm room, you have authority in your apartment complex, you have authority on your street. In fact, I don't want you to call me as a pastor to do that. I have enough demons to deal with on my street. You deal with your own demons, right? God gave you an apartment complex to take authority over and cast out the demons, right? And that's how the church starts advancing powerfully in this generation. I love uh, yesterday, one of our business guys works in the hotel uh, industry and upper management. He ended up sharing his faith and, and the pain in his life through his upbringing with another person leads him to the Lord. It, it's about the priesthood of the believer. First and foremost, a priest ministers to God. Can I just tell you, your highest calling, to minister to the Lord. You know, back in the day, they thought, oh, only the, the Pope or only the priest can talk to God. No, do you know you have access through Jesus Christ to have direct communication to and fro with God and to minister to him, to worship him with all your heart. And secondly, a priest reconciles people to God. That's what my friends were doing. Those two stories I'm telling you about, that's what they were doing. You have the ability to reconcile people to God. Now, what I'm not saying is that there's not people that are actually called into vocational ministry. So what I saw, I just read these priests. When I added up their numbers, there were 4,000 of them. Okay, this just debunks another myth in America that, you know, that's just like the, the very select few people that are going to actually be called into vocational ministry. There were 40,000 that went from Babylon to Jerusalem, and 4,000 of them were priests. Now, I'm not very good at math, but what I get is that's one in, one in 10. That's 10%. So if you looked around this room, one in 10 of you would say, you know what, I'm going to do full-time vocational ministry, church planting. That's, can I just tell you, that's the only way we're going to plant these over 1,000 churches we're believing for, is that God, it, we're going to actually return to biblical Christianity, where it's not like one holy man and thousands of us, but instead we're like, hey, we just listen and we do what God says. But let me also tell you, then there's not this like uh, classes of Christians. Well, what if I didn't get selected as one of the 10? You know, I'm the other nine. If you're the other nine, you're being biblical, right? Just be a biblical Christian, right? That's, that's what this is all about, that everyone is a priest before God. Now look at this next thing. The next verse, Ezra 2.41 says this, 
The musicians, 128. I love music. Can I just tell you, you're called to sing and make music to the Lord. But when I read 128, it just shows not many people are good musicians. <laughs> there's a lot of priests, but there's not many good singers. <laughs> but we want to honor and say this. Um, a lot of them come to our church, praise God. And uh, some people, your, your contribution, one of your greatest contributions to the body of Christ will be through music. And we honor that. You know what I don't like is this thought that the worship is like the warm-up to the message. Oh, that gets me. That frustrates me. Or like the worship's the appetizer and the message is the main course. Can I tell you that worship is the ministry to the Lord? Do you know the, the primary reason we come to church? Okay, you're here, so I'm going to tell you why. The primary reason is to minister to the Lord. Secondly, it's to be fed. The main reason we come is to honor the Lord, to lift up his name. He is deserving. That's why I go to church when I'm not working, when I'm in another city, when I'm just traveling on vacation. I go to meet with the people of God. Why? Because I owe everything to the Lord. And I want him to know I am thankful. Find a man who is in love with you, who is thankful, and so I bless your name. So worship is not the warm-up. Worship is the main course. Right? Then it says this, the temple servants, Ezra 2.43, and it goes through all these servants. Now, look, we're all called to be servants. We're all called to be like Jesus. But some people actually had the gift of helps or the gift of serving. Some people had that gift to just serve. And then some of us have the gift to receive. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm kidding in that that's why we... The other day, we're, we're suggesting deacons, right? Because when, when people step into their gifts, then everyone flourishes. When people step into their gifts, the water level rises. And so there are people, there are ones of you who you have been gifted to serve. And when you do that, the church is blessed. The people of God are blessed. So we want to say, step in to your gifting. Okay, last point of the day. The following, verse 59, the following came up from the towns of Tel Mela, Tel Harsha, Carib, Adon, and Imer, but they could not show that their families were descended from Israel. The descendants of Deliah, Tobiah, and Nakoda, 652, and from among the priests, the descendants of Hobiah, Hakaz, and Barziah, a man who married a daughter of Barziah, the Gileadite and was called by that name. These searched for their family records, but they couldn't find them and so were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor ordered them not to eat any of the most sacred food until there were a priest ministering with the Urim and Thummim. And when I read that, I go, bummer. And then I think, huh? And then I'm like, what the heck? Okay, let me unpack this. They could not show that their families were descended from Israel. Okay, who's Israel? Israel is God's chosen people. And so you want to be God's chosen people. But these people, they pulled out the records and they couldn't find their records. And all of a sudden, they couldn't show it. And, and the next thing they, they said is, oh no, then you're excluded and you can't eat from the table. You know, God 
loves his kids. And God had this, this nation, his chosen people, to show what it's like, a, a father with his chosen children, how he protects them, provides for them, leads them. And so it was a big deal to be included. You wanted to be included. In the New Testament, Jesus shows up and he says, you become my chosen people if you receive my gift of salvation through my death on the cross. You know, Jesus shows up and says, you still got to be chosen. You still got to have your name written in the book if you want to eat at the table. But now the Bible says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Now you got to be chosen, but here's how you get chosen, by putting your faith in Jesus. You see, we all deserved to be excluded. We all deserve, because of our sin, to be separated with God forever. The Bible says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible has even worse news. The wages of sin is death. Every person in this room has sin. We've lied, cheated, stolen, thought bad thoughts, committed adultery in our hearts. And that Bible says that that is sin, and sin makes us dirty, and sin separates us from a holy God. And so that is what is so amazing about Jesus. He came and lived a sinless life, and then he went to the cross as a sinless sacrifice. And the Bible says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we could die to sin and live for righteousness by his wounds were healed. When Jesus was pierced through his hands and his feet and his side, and the blood flowed, that blood flowed as a sacrifice for our sin, and the blood cleanses us from unrighteousness. And if we will look to Jesus and ask him to save us from our sins, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you give your life to Jesus and all of a sudden you're included, not excluded. Your name is written in that book and not only does he come and live inside of you, then he promises when you die, he takes you to heaven to be with him forever. The good news is we live in a new covenant. And my question is, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you 100% sure he's living in you? Are you 100% sure that when you die, you'll spend eternity with him in paradise? And then, have you seen one of these? If you're under 30, you haven't. It's called a check. <laughs> I, I, was, I was thinking about this this week as, you know, Bilbo, um, you saw him, he, there was a contract, this, this paper contract, and he had to decide, was he going to sign his name to go on this adventure? And this week, I was just thinking about a check. You know, this, this check is just a piece of paper, but it's, it's a contract to my bank account. Okay, let me show you something that makes a, a blank check very dangerous. If you sign your name to it. This becomes very dangerous. Come here, my friend. Okay, this is a blank check with my name on it. Exactly. You could destroy me right now with that. Okay, actually, it has painfully little in it, in the account. So uh, you'd actually be pretty discouraged. You'd be a discouraged burglar. But um, here, I'll take that. Out. 
Uh, um, my, my, good job. <laughs> this week, this is what I was saying to the Lord. Um, God, I want to write a blank check of my life to you. You know, I started praying. I, w- I was praying, Lord, whatever you say, I want to say yes to. And then I thought, you know what? Uh-uh. I actually want to write a blank check before you even speak. I just want to say the answer is yes, even before you ask the question. The answer is yes, Lord, before you ask the question. Everything, Lord. I write the blank check. I want to go on that adventure of faith. I'm writing my name. Lord, I want to be a part of it. You put me on this earth. You deserve my whole life. I write my name on that check. Have you done that? I want to tell you once you do, get ready for an adventure. Would you stand up with me?